Hey there, Mountain Brook. This is Donald Clayton, principal at Mountain Brook Junior High School. I'm here once again with Dr. Dickie Barlow, our superintendent. Uh, today, our podcast is focused on how to create a home learning environment for your secondary student. So we'll be looking at Mountain Brook Junior High and Mountain Brook Spartan, Mountain Brook High School Spartan students. Dr. Barlow, it's a good time to ask, do you know what the first mascot of Mountain Brook Junior High was? I believe it was a unicorn. The unicorn is correct. Well done. You're one for one on today's trivia. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about how to create a home learning environment for your secondary student today. And we've got some special callers that will be joining us today. Dr. Barlow, tell us uh, who those callers will be. Thank you, Donald. Yes, you know, we talked about what conversations we could have with teachers. And so we've asked a teacher from the high school, Mr. Shane Martin, um, from the high school and then from the junior high, Mr. Andrew Cotton. And so you're going to hear interviews from both of those um, men tonight and or today or whenever you're listening to the <laughs> podcast. But also um, really excited about having people here. Um, Salter Heidinger, who is a student for, in Mountain Brook and uh, gives a lot of great insight on how to create that learning environment. In fact, I'll say, Donald, that all three have lots of great insight, um, and they give s probably similar answers. Right. Um, but they're they're little tidbits that each one gives that uh, is uh, is really beneficial. So uh, excited about sharing these interviews. Yeah, I know our community will be very excited to hear those. Um, before we get into our callers, is there any any thoughts or anything you want to share with our community? Yeah, you know there really is. Um, you're gonna you're gonna listen to these interviews, and um, before you do, I, I just want to say a few things. One is, um, there's a chance when you listen to these interviews, you start thinking that oh gosh, I've got to do all these things to be um, a good parent at home, as far as this e-learning environment goes, and. I want to tell you what I told our faculty at the beginning of this week as we went through our virtual conference um, in learning uh, how to create an e-learning environment for our students. And that is, you know, first of all, we all just need to take a really deep breath mm -hmm. and slow down. Um, second thing I'd say is we got to give each other a whole lot of grace. Um, when you're talking to your children and yourself, um, we need to be patient in that and uh, just know we're doing the best we can. Um, one thing I said to our teachers, I said, you're gonna make a lot of mistakes. We've already made a lot of mistakes. In fact, you know, everything changes so rapidly mm -hmm. now that we'll make a decision and we'll realize in 15 minutes that we need to go a different direction. And it looks like you made a mistake, but you didn't. It's just the environment changed. Yeah. And this is what hap has happened to our families is that the environment has changed. You know, our children went to school um, for their learning, and now all of a sudden they're going to be home, and there's a stay-in-put um, or stay-in-place uh, order by the governor now. And so most people are going to be at home, and it's going to cause a lot of stress. Right. And so I just would like to say to our families, just take a deep breath. Um, you know, what I want to remind people is that we are in a community and a nation right now that's grieving. 
there are things that have taken place in our um, community and in our lives that um, have, they're just dramatically different. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to even go so far to say that a lot of us are in shock. We still can't believe what has happened in the last three weeks. And now our kids are going to be doing their schoolwork from home. Um, and so the last thing I would say to everything, to, to everyone, is don't create a war zone just to make sure your kids get their work done. You know, um, your family is much more important than the work your children do at home. And so help encourage your children. Try to motivate them. Um, and just do the best you can. Give everybody a little bit of grace. And um, and when you listen to these podcasts, these people take what you think is good advice and try to use it. And for those things that you think, oh, I, I can't do that, then don't try. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's okay. That would be my advice for everybody before we listen to these uh, interviews. Yeah, I know that's personally for me. Um uplifting and very comforting and I appreciate how you've told me several times there's gonna be a lot of things going on uh, a lot of different things happen but don't lose your family through this Um, and so I think that's something we can all really hear and focus on Um, thank you for that Dr. Barlow I will now turn it over to you to introduce our first um, caller so yeah we're getting ready to talk to Shane Martin teacher at Mount Brook High School and so here's the interview with Shane Well, Shane, thanks for joining us today. Um, Donald and I are in the podcast room, and yes, we are six feet away from one another, and didn't feel like it was safe enough to bring you in the room with us, so uh, we decided we were going to talk to you on the phone. Um, So thanks for your time um, with us. Uh, I'm just going to ask you some basic questions because, you know, here we are going into this whole e-learning environment, and, um, you know, we've never done this before. We know families have never done this before. And so we thought we would just ask some people some questions about how families can create an environment of that home that helps our students extend their learning. Um, so let me just jump in real quick and just ask you, what, what would you say are some basic recommendations you would make to parents? Well, when I'm thinking about this, and as you said, we're going into something new, and with anything new, there's anxiety and excitement. Um, but I think the first thing that we need to do is is kind of look as a parent and then as a student and look and say, all right, where in this house, where in this building do I think I can learn best and why? The obvious things, of course, is we want to eliminate as many distractions as possible. And you want to be in a comfortable position, in a comfortable place, but that not not completely relaxed. We don't want to be laying in bed in a dark room. We'll, we'll, you know, that's that's a little too comfortable. But you want to you want to be in an environment that um, that has obviously the least amount of distractions. And and sometimes we as individuals can do that ourselves. And sometimes we need help. We need help from parents or whatever. Say, help me set this up. Is it a desk downstairs? Um, is it the kitchen table? I think probably the most important thing is just realize that we are trying something new and that we're going to have to just learn as we go. We're going to have to feel our way through this, but a good environment that you feel comfortable in somewhere in your house with the minimum amount of distractions is probably the best place to start in my opinion. 
Jane, when you think about, you said a, a good environment, when you think about the environment you set up in your classroom um, at Mountain Break High School, like what are a few words that come to mind when you think about that kind of environment? It's just so parents can think about what they might be trying to replicate and set up um, and students when they're picking a space. That's a good call. Um, when I say good, I guess what I'm meaning is where, wherever you are going to set up to do your e-learning, it doesn't need to be the place where you also relax. And the reason I say that is because those places where you relax, that's your mindset. Your mindset is to get into that spot, wherever that spot is, and get in a relaxed state. But here with the e-learning, I really think it's important, in my opinion, that we set up a place somewhere in the house where you go and you know this is the spot where I'm going to get my learning on. This is the spot where I know I'm going to set my phone, if I have one, in another room. This is a place where I'm going to be able to have a good comfortable chair and good lighting, um, obviously a power source and good Wi-Fi, and be able to set myself up with an environment where I know I can succeed. And I think that comes where you set up the, the expectations. It's kind of like a gym. If you go into a gym, the expectation is that you work out. Well, if you go into a classroom, expectation is, of course, is that you're there to learn. And I think if you can set up an area in your house where you've got that kind of attitude, that kind of mindset, both by your body language and your body position, how you're sitting and what's there to available to you, and the mindset of this is my spot where I'm going to learn, I feel like that would be deemed a good spot. That's a great point, Shane, because, um, you know, I've, I've been working from home a little bit in the last couple of weeks, and um, actually I've had to drive back to work and be the only one in this office because I'm not great at it, you know, I... I'll try to do work in my den, and the TV's there, and there's a computer there, and there's food in the kitchen. And next thing I know, I've got the TV on. I'm going and, you know, getting a little Debbie Swiss cake, and I'm calling at work, and nothing's getting done. And so finally, you know, I have to get up and say, all right, I need to go someplace where there are no distractions. What are the distractions like uh, that teenagers and high schoolers need to be wary of? I think probably the number one thing that everyone is going to say is the phone. And, and I, I, think that that's, I think that's valid, but I think there's more to it than just that. I think if you make the decision that this is my learning time, this is my e-learning time, this is my classroom time, and that phone is not within reach, not just sat down beside you. Because when it's sat down beside you, it's just too easy to grab. I mean, it's like a bag of chips. We wonder why we eat all the chips because it's right there and we just keep reaching our hand in and we don't think about it. Well, when our phone is that close, we do the same thing. I do the same thing as an adult. So making a very conscious effort to put the phone out of the room, away from earshot and from being able to see it, that's probably, in my opinion, going to be, of course, the number one distraction. But anything like you were talking about that can be um, something that draws you in in an entertainment way, like a TV or something like that, right. trying to avoid those scenarios and, of course, high traffic areas, the high traffic areas in your in your house where people are coming through, just because that is an opportunity to generate a conversation, which is not a bad thing. But when you're trying to focus on reading something or watching something or learning something, a high traffic area would tend to be a distraction to me. That's a great point about the high traffic area. Donald, I've noticed several times that I'll be in my living room and I'm I'm starting to work and I have things and then, you know, my daughter will walk through and then my other daughter will walk through and then my dog comes over and wants me to pet, pet him. And I, and I do because he's a distraction and, and I'm prone to distractions. And so, uh, high traffic areas are probably those areas that need to be, um, uh, thought about when you're creating a learning environment at your home. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I do those same things. Uh, Shane, tell us what strategies uh, teachers use to help students stay focused and stay motivated. Uh, in a in a classroom environment or in this e-learning environment? What strategies do you use as a teacher in a classroom environment? Well, I want I want the class to have a vibrant feel to it. I want the atmosphere and the energy to be a, to be a positive one. You know, obviously. A, a place that's that's light and interesting, um, but I have been accused before of having too much on my walls. That kids will get distracted putting uh, projects, previous projects we've done on the walls, um, and uh, and I like those things. I think those things stimulate thought, they stimulate conversation, and um, and I think they help learning. However, if you are a person who's distracted by that, that's when you look at your environment. In this case, it would be with a teacher and a student and say, can I sit over here or can I sit in a different spot so that I can I can learn better? Uh, and, of course, those are things that we try to accommodate. At home, I think sometimes, and I do this as an adult, I think it's good to have an outside voice just to run it by somebody, mom, dad, whoever, and say, does this look like a good environment to you? Does it look like what, – what distractions am I missing? What are things that are going to distract me? I think that you can kind of try to translate that from in a classroom. Okay, what are the things that are distracting me? Is it friends? Is it certain um, posters and things like that? Or is it I'm sitting and looking at the at the window, and the window is drawing me in. I'm watching what's ever outside, having the wind blowing, the birds, whatever that window is drawing me in. So I think what I try to do is have an environment that is pleasing and welcoming and is stimulating but not too distracting. That's a, that's a, you know, trying to strike a, a – a balance and that's hard it's, it's not always easy yeah that's a good point shane um you know y- you also bring in a different point in that you're talking about what you do as a teacher and i want to just um insert this little thought into parents and, and that is i just want to remind them and take the stress off of them is that we're not expecting our parents to be our child's teacher their child's teacher um mm-hmm. that the uh the the teacher is going to give the content and tr- hopefully some type of engage engagement where the student will be motivated to do the work or the thought. But um, that home environment, it's hard enough to be a mom and a dad. And then all of a sudden it's boom. Now you're going to be, you, you feel the pressure of being the teacher. And I'm hoping that, you know, that we're taking some of the pressure off of the, the moms and dads and just say, you know, set an environment up for your child, um, for your teenager, and um, let the teacher give the work and give the child space to do the work. So, so with that in mind, um, that's not to say that the parent can't help, right? And so um, oh, yeah. I'm asking you this next question. Are there things parents can do or questions they can ask to help see if their child's on track? That's a good question, and that is, that's something that I've been thinking about as a parent. I'm going to be doing a dual role, of course. All three of us will be. We'll be being instructors and teachers, and they're also helping our children with their e-learning or, or trying to keep up with their e-learning or try to encourage that e-learning. So I think, it, to my, in my opinion, just secondary schools, what I really think it should just be a, a chant that we're using right now during e-day is communicate, communicate, excuse me, e-learning is communicate, 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 is that the more open lanes of communication that we have, the more venues of communication we have, the more comfortable we'll feel. And that is between teacher and student and teacher and parent and all three. Um, I think that 
as a parent, um, and I think we do this, um, I think a lot of us, especially in this community, because we care, um, we, we care about academics, is that a lot of times we can fall into a measurement of whether a child is keeping up by checking chalkable. And in this case, where we are with this e-learning, I'm not necessarily sure that, that watching chalkable is going to be the best way to see how the child is doing with their learning, with the process of e-learning. I think a, a communication line, of course, we use Canvas, and of course, the, the parents have access to the Canvas, and I would really encourage them to, um, to look at the assignments and where the kids are. And if they're concerned, please email us. Please email us, teachers, and ask. We've got to keep a good line of communication open. I really think that's going to be important these first couple of weeks as everybody tries to settle in to what this is going to potentially look like. Shane, that's a great point. If From the teacher's perspective uh, in the classroom, if you've got a student um, who is, kind of like you were describing, falling behind, um, what do you kind of hope that that student's going to do? What do you plan to do as a teacher um, as you see that? Um. My, my hope is that I'm going to be able to communicate and stay in enough contact with them through the various uh, technologies that we have so that it will be easy to access them and to communicate with them. But for some reason, if it appears that one of my students is falling behind, of course, is to reach out, for, reach out towards them directly um, to see if I can get a communication and a conversation going about where I can help and how I can help. And then on the parent end of that, um, I, I'm, this is secondary now, but I believe that a, an email that would involve the teacher, the parent, and the student so that all three people are in that email circle, right. I think that would really be beneficial to help everybody because that way teachers can understand better about what that home environment might be and the, the parents can understand what the teacher may be wanting the child to do. And it might simply be a fact that the child thought they were doing what they were supposed to do, but it wasn't clear. So because we get in this, this open line of communication, it can clear it up. And it, it might be a case where the, where the parent is concerned and, and contacts the teacher, and the teacher looks and says, no, 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 your child is doing fine. I think that communication is really just going to be so important. That's a great point, Shane. Look, we're going to stop right now. Um, we just thank you for that baseline of information, and hopefully it's going to help some parents um, as they set up their learning environment at home or think about these things with their children. So, hey, thanks for your time. I really appreciate you uh, being with us today. Absolutely. I, I love it, and I appreciate you having me on. I just want to encourage everybody listening that, that this is going to be great. We're so blessed with resources. We're going to do a great job, and everyone, everyone is going to be doing their best. That's the parents, that's the students, that's the teachers. We're gonna, it's going to be fun. It's going to turn out to be a really good thing once we get up and running. Now we're going to go and talk to Andrew Cotton from Mountain Brook Junior High. And uh, here comes that interview with Andrew. Andrew, thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, you know, we, when we were thinking of teachers we could talk to, uh, your name came up pretty quickly. And um, we uh, just want to ask you a few questions about how to set up an environment at home that's conducive to learning. And so I'm just going to go and jump on in and let you have most of the time. Tell us what you think some of the basic recommendations you would make to parents about setting up yeah. a learning environment. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, I think that's an important part of this process is helping replicate the school environment at home, it'll just help all of our students and our parents transition a little easier into this e-learning process. 
some of the recommendations I have are physical things regarding layout. Some are habits we want to establish. Um, and some are emotional, psychological. I think first, and I'm sure you've heard this, definitely want to try and create an environment that feels serious and formal. While I do love laying in bed and reading and having my dogs cuddled up next to me in my pajamas, I don't know that that's necessarily how I want to approach school every day. Probably not. I think there's something to be said about playing the part, and it's about a mindset. It's um, it's important that you sit down somewhere comfortable and that you have all of your materials beside you and just as important as what you have beside you is what you don't have beside you. There are certain things that we need to set aside. Um, I'm a big advocate of, you know, putting our phone away. Um, if we need our phone to join a Google Meet, that's one thing. But when you hear the v -v <laughs> over and over and over again because all of your friends are texting you about how silly Mr. Cotton looks on the Google Meet. That's really not going to help you focus. You know, they talk about the, the phantom vibration syndrome, how nowadays kids concoct vibrations in their brain and check their phone even though it didn't even vibrate. So Putting yourself in a situation where you're not being distracted by the outside world is going to be really important. I think whiteboards or windows, you can write on a window with an Expo marker, um, corkboards, uh, pads of paper, setting certain times of the day um, I think are really important. You need to know when you learn best and when you're most focused, and that's when I would produce that's when I would work on school. And I think something that's really interesting is something Mr. Clayton brought up to us at the beginning of the year. For years, I've been playing music in my classroom. It's a big part of the environment. He sent us uh, an article long ago, well, at the beginning of the year, about um, whether music is actually helpful in the learning process. The article was called, But I Study Much Better With My Music On. Uh -huh. And I, I really believed that until I had to, to face the facts, and that's that students think it's supporting their focus when in reality it's hindering their comprehension. Hmm. It does make the process more enjoyable. Being able to put your own music on and write an essay certainly makes students who feel like traditional school is quote-unquote prison it makes it more tolerable, but it doesn't exactly support the the growth that we're we're looking for. Um, that's I a great that's point. A, that's a great point, Andrew. In fact, Donald, if you would send me that article, I need to show it to my ch children at home. But Andrew, <laughs> I want to back up just a little bit. And when you were talking about structure, and uh, it's interesting, I I read something just a few days ago. And I know this, I'm not calling you a hygiene expert or anything like that, but one of the things I read is they were reminding people that you need to get up and take a shower. You need to comb your hair and, you know, put your makeup on and get dressed um, like you would on a normal day. 
and it puts you in that environment where you believe that you're in a learning environment. What do you think about that? I definitely agree with that. I think that I'm going to leave my three-piece suits in the closet, <laughs> but I will definitely pull out my Jedi robe on occasion, um, certainly the tunic. I mean, if you're not wearing a tunic <laughs> underneath your jacket, who are you? Like, what are you doing with your life? Um, I have hobbit feet slippers. Um, you know, I think I'll wear those. I think I'll... Um, make it silly. Uh, no, I, I think that's important. Um, it's, a, it's, it's about putting yourself in a situation where you feel like you're conducive. You're, you, your mindset and your environment are conducive to learning. And if that means dressing the part as a way of reinforcing that mindset, mm-hmm. then I think that's a great idea. Yeah, that's great, Andrew. Andrew, I've been in your classroom, obviously, hundreds of times and had people come by. And I I will tell you that every time I'm in there, I always feel like the students are really just uh, they're locked in, they're engaged um, and they're just they're they're super focused. What are the strategies that teachers use to help students stay focused uh, and motivated on their learning? So I think that that certainly depends on the age, whether that's the number or the maturity level. Um, There are certain strategies you can use at different grade levels. I can speak to what works well for seven, eight, and nine, and I think that that is external redirection. So some someone present who is helping keep students on track. I can't tell you the amount of times during a single class period. And they're supposed to be playing, like they're supposed to be their best self as students and focused at school, right? I can't tell you the amount of times during class I have to tap a desk or remind somebody to, to, to join us again. And we do that with little teacher cues like saying someone's name or at calling on them. Well, if we're not physically present and we're not doing a a conference in that moment then that's something that we need to do to support students outside of school during this e-learning process is help redirect their focus if that means someone in the household if possible can be nearby or present during their instruction for the first few days or weeks that might that that near presence right might go really long way and i think that at home this is so this is a super contradiction what i'm about to say especially for me um if you can reduce the uh surrounding stimuli right that will help a lot Hmm. and what i mean by that is what are the things physically around the child or the student that could draw their attention away from the screen or the piece of paper or the book in their hand. Now, like I said, that's very hypocritical because if you've ever been in my classroom, it's basically direct, uh, you know, decorated the way that I would want an eighth grade classroom to be when I was 13. So there are action figures everywhere, Star Wars and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings stuff all over the walls. So I never begrudge a student who's like staring at r2d2 in the corner and their heads in some cloud space but we want to make sure that we can bring them back kids will naturally lose focus 
how do we bring them back to the table? And I think that strategy is going to be presence and redirection. And you can always lean on relationships with that, right? There's a reason why kids will refocus when I bring their attention to the fact that they're not focusing. It's because they trust that I'm not embarrassing them or I'm not calling them out in a public way. So if you are a parent and you're wondering how to keep your child focused, be around them. Observe the way that they interact with the material. And if you don't want to call on them over and over again, say, Andrew, are you paying attention? Andrew, 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 then engage with them with questioning, right? Talk to them about the material. Breathe life into their interest. Help them move from passive engagement to active engagement through making it a multi-dimensional process and it, and and the material becomes something that jumps out of the page. Yeah, so so Andrew, so you're you're saying instead of being punitive and everything that you do, you're you're present, but instead of being punitive, ask questions to find out the wonder of what's taking place. A hundred percent. And you don't have to be the content specialist to do that. A lot of parents were really worried during this e-learning um, conversation before we really knew what was going to happen. They're like, I'm not a teacher. The age of the teacher being the, the sole uh, bearer of knowledge died long ago. None of us are content specialists the way that they were when we were the only ones who had access to books. We're closer to coaches and camp counselors today than we are traditional academic teachers. Hmm. And what I mean by that is we support students first and we use the vehicle of content to do it. I happen to love books, but more than anything, I work well with kids. So if you're a parent, you are already the master, right? You work with kids every day. You know exactly what motivates them. You know exactly what kind of person they are, what they love and what they fear and their insecurities and their strengths and their weaknesses. You're ready. You've got this. Hmm. Lean on that knowledge because they need you now more than ever. Right. Absolutely. Andrew, I, I love your positivity on all of it. And I, this morning we had a little question and answer session with our faculty at the junior high and you started talking about how uh, we don't have to see this as an ordeal, but as an opportunity. Uh, tell us your, your take on that and, and, and kind of where you come with that whole perspective. So there's a lot of fear surrounding the situation we're in. And whether that's fear of the virus or fear of the unknown, or fear of job security, or fear of missing out on opportunities, I think is a little bit of everything. Sure. But when we're talking about students transitioning to a learning environment at home, I think that's an incredible opportunity that we, we need to see the silver lining of, right? So this is a chance for students 
to recalibrate the way they view the purpose of school and hopefully the way they approach learning. Hey, Andrew, before we go, I I need to ask you one quick question. We were talking and you said that you had a lot of books that you'd like to offer. Um, When you talk about what parents can do to support kids, both environmentally and emotionally, um, is there anything, number of books you'd like to recommend to parents? Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think that you should first consider uh, another podcast in the series that just features Mr. Clayton talking about the teenage brain. Um, so the book that I just referenced, The Teenage Brain, A Neuroscientist Survival Guide to Raising Adolescents and Young Adults mm-hmm. by Jensen and Nutt, that book has a profound impact on the way that we interact with and trust teenagers. Um, I am so thankful I found it. I, I really wish all of my colleagues, all of my students, all of my students' parents, I really wish people would read that book because it, I think it best encapsulates both in a, like a scientific level, but also an emotional level, what students are going through mm-hmm. and it names it in a way that I can understand, and there's a great passage in there about how do you talk to a student or a child or a teenager about how their brain is not exactly developed yet without belittling them, and they talk about it in terms of, look, this is not an excuse for your behavior. It's an explanation so that you better understand how these decisions came to pass. Um, I think that's really important because teenagers, when they invite you to have a conversation, Mm -hmm. it oftentimes, if if I'm remembering correctly, it was a lot more temperamental than I care to admit. Hmm. And this gives you a vocabulary to talk to them in a responsible way that I think will be enlightening to both parties. Yeah. one of the details it says in there is that there's no turning back from the digital world we all live in, but we can turn away even for a few hours or minutes a day. And the earlier we start doing this with our kids, the better. And I thought that that definitely spoke to the environment we're in with e-learning. E-learning isn't eight hours of digital school every day. It's just a different approach to school. It's like the the polls have turned a little bit, but not completely, you know, flip-flopped. Mm-hmm. Um, so Teenage Brain, another one, this is the one that I told my wife she had to read when we had Laurel, Creating Innovators by Tony Wagner. Right, yeah. He's my educational guru. His understanding, the way he talks about let kids play is profound because mm-hmm. play turns into passion and passion turns into purpose. And if you are somebody who's lucky enough in life to have had that path, that you are actually in a purpose-driven career, then you'd certainly owe it to – and I think a lot of teachers fit that mold. You you owe it to the next generation to help them find that way. So Creating Innovators Mindset by Carol Dweck 
and Grit by Angela Duckworth. Mm-hmm. These are both really this is an incredible time to help students remember that they're students and to develop certain characteristics and skills that we don't have, frankly, we don't have time for, or we, you know, we're just so busy with school. Mm-hmm. And now it's the time to be busy with, like, with learning. Right. I don't know. I'm very excited for what happens um, for the road ahead. Well, it, it is it is a great opportunity for us. Um, even in the mix, midst of all this anxiety and um, fear, there is a bright spot, a silver lining, if you will, about how learning can take place and actually what it can do in our students' minds and just well, what I meant by that is in what it can do in their lives. It, it could actually transform lives here. And so we're hoping that that's going to take place. Andrew, hey, I, I want to thank you for your time. Um, Donald, it's obvious we've talked to Shane and Andrew right now, and we're getting ready to talk to Salter in just a second. But um, people wonder why our school system is so great. And there's two reasons right there, Shane and Andrew. So, right. Andrew, thank you for your time. Really appreciate you uh, spending time with us tonight. Thank you all so much. Good luck. Monday's going to be great. Thanks, Andrew. Missing you, man. Bye-bye. Bye. Man, I love Andrew Cotton, and I feel very lucky that uh, he's a teacher in our building. Um, but, hey, listen, this next one uh, is a real treat. Who we got, Dr. Barlow? Salter Heidinger. She's a student in Mount Brook Schools, and uh, I think people are really going to enjoy this interview. Salter has a lot of great insight and wisdom in this issue. And Salter, it's great to uh, great to be with you again. As you've done some virtual work as a Mountain Brook student over the past few years, we want to kind of hear your thoughts from the student perspective on what it looks like, what are the habits, the routines, the rhythms that are important for a student to be successful in a different environment, in this case at home, since we're going to have a shelter in place. What, what does it look like to be successful at home as opposed to in the traditional school setting? So as as a student who's transitioned from traditional school setting to online, what what did you find um, were the most important things for you to get set up? Um, well, for me, I found that designating like a, a, a my personal space uh, to study was really important to me. Um, I set aside like a separate room, a separate table, like in the kitchen that said, "Hey." Like to my parents, to my brother, like this is my space to study. When I'm sitting down and I'm studying, like I need y'all to be quiet. I need y'all to get in a different room, just so they know that I'm studying. And I would recommend to all students, with siblings at home, with pets at home, with parents at home, to find their own personal space to study. Um, also, I love my agenda book. So um, <laughs> even though you don't have teachers you know, in class telling you what to do um, on a specific day. I would still plan out your week, plan out your day, um, just so you stay on track so you don't get sidetracked, you know, feeding the dog, going outside, getting distracted by your phone. Um, So those two aspects were really important to me when transitioning. Hey, Salter, um, this is Dr. Barlow again. I said I was going to let um, Mr. Clayton ask all the questions, but I just realized that your brother is now going to start e-learning at home. And he so is. how is that going to affect you? What Have you thought about, you know, 
are y'all going to be in the same room? Are you going to be in a different room? How's that work? Because there are going to be a lot of families with multiple people doing e-learning at the same time. Yes. So my brother and I have um, already come up kind of with a plan and a layout to where, like, I have my, I'm fortunate to have, like, my own room um, to study in, and he'll study probably um, in, like, the kitchen, like, the dining room table, or um, at, like, his own, like, study table. I would recommend to everybody not to study in their bedroom, um, just because, like, that can get sometimes tricky like going to bed or like being on your phone so I would recommend like sitting up sitting like you're um, in a desk um, to study so yeah my brother and I Grayson we've worked out kind of a schedule on like who's going to study when like when like really quiet times are for reading for note-taking um and you know like we schedule breaks to like get on our phone or go you know take a walk outside with the dogs But, yeah, I would definitely recommend making a schedule or, you know, just sitting down and talking with your siblings, with your parents to come up with a plan. Yeah, so what I've heard from you is make sure you got a space, make sure you got your agenda, make sure everybody in the house knows what's going on and, and who all is is where and what they're working on and, and those type of things. Tell us, Salter, as you've done this the last um, couple of years, what have you learned um, from doing your learning online and kind of what are some of the positives that you take away from the experience? I've definitely learned to manage my time really well like if I want to go out um of town on Thursday or Friday which we can't obviously do now but you know if you want to go out and take a walk in the afternoon I've learned to manage my time and prioritize okay I need to get you know tasks a b and c done this morning so I can go do I want to do in the afternoon um I've learned to take an initiative in my own learning which has been really helpful Hmm. and I've also learned that hold myself accountable because um, of the freedom I have. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I'm very fortunate um, to have the freedom, but also I need to learn, you know, when I need to sit down, when I can take a break. So it's been really beneficial. Has that been the the hardest challenge for you, or is there something that's kind of been a bigger challenge um, outside of that kind of, you know, knowing how to go through the process? Um, for me, like being in regular school, that really wasn't a huge issue for me. My biggest, um, challenge transitioning from traditional school to the online setting was probably not having a teacher like face to face directly in front of you to ask questions, to go up to, um, and get them like to work out a problem, like right in front of you that minute. Uh So going back to like that taking initiative and learning, um, you know, I've had to resort to other, like, online resources, you know, text friends. So that was definitely my hardest challenge because I love to interact with the teachers. So that was um, yeah. hard. I, I get that, Salter. I, I have a question for you because you, you made a comment and you said, and this is kind of off track of our questions, but you said, you know, don't do your, don't do your learning in your bedroom. Um, so my question to you is, did you have to learn that, or did you just come up with that? So, from, a very, from about 6th or 7th grade, my mom always told my brother and I that your bedroom is a place of, like, rest and sleeping, and so homework should not be, and homework and work should not be associated with that. The two should be separate. Um, so, that's why like, I 
you know, found a space in my house where it was, like, my study space with all my binders and all my pencils and all of that. Um, but I do. I do get up um, every morning about 7 o'clock. I get up, like, I get dressed, I feed the dogs. Um, and then I probably don't get started till about, like, 8.30. Uh-huh. Um, and I work probably from about 8.30 to 11 um like throughout and then i'll take about a 30 to 45 minute break like walking outside like playing with dogs um getting on my phone and then um i'll start back studying for about like 12 15 to 2 um and then until like all my work is done for the day and then when my work is done for the day then i put it up i'm done with it for the day and i'm able to do what i need to do Great advice. Yeah, I mean, you are an agenda person. I really enjoy I hearing that. I'm gonna. I'm actually trying to jot all this down, Salter, so I can take some notes here and figure it out. Hey, so this this is your chance right here, Salter. All I'm hoping a whole lot of Mountain Brook uh, schools or uh, students are listening. Uh, what advice, having done this, um, what advice do you give them as they start? Um, next week on on this uh, e learning journey for you know just the remainder of this semester. Um, I don't know, as I said, find a space that works for you. Um, don't change your study habits just because you're at home. If you like studying your bedroom, it works for you and you do well studying your bedroom. Um, if you like studying at night and that's like when you do your best work, then study at night. Obviously I'm a huge proponent. I love the morning. So I get up. That's when I do the best, um, work for me. But um, find what works for you. Um, hold yourself accountable. Um, and when you create a schedule, stick to it. Don't um, change it just because of one thing. Hmm. Um, and I would say like probably every two or three weeks, since we will be home for a while, every two or three weeks you can change your study space. Just like to change it up um, and follow your agenda. Yeah. Write <laughs> down some of your agenda and follow it. <laughs> Salter, uh, you are you're wonderful. Uh, we really appreciate you taking this time uh, to be with us and really just share. Uh, I've always known you had lots of wisdom for your age, and so um, I appreciate you taking this time to share the wisdom um, with our community. Yes. Well, thank you all so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I wish everyone the best of luck. Thanks, Salter. You're a gem. Thanks for spending time with us. Great advice for us all. Of course. We'll see you later, Salter. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Salter. That was great, wasn't it, Donald? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we talk about student voice so much in our school district is that uh, when you listen to Salter, you understand that um, teenagers, high school students, junior high students, they, do, they understand a lot, and they're very wise and can think through issues, and Salter has just done a fantastic job in thinking through that issue, so we're extremely grateful for her and for all the people that we've interviewed today. Yep. All right, perfect, Mountain Brook. Thank you, Dr. Barlow. Thank you to our sound booth here that's always working behind the scenes. Um, Hey, again, we hope you guys continue to stay well, and we look forward to the day that we're able to see you again soon. Thanks. Thanks.